0: Welcome to the 45th episode of Spurbs Herbs. Today, we're going to be talking about a very interesting herb, one that I've been fascinated about because I'm kind of aware of the historical significance of it. Um, Zhu Sha, which is Cinnabaris or Cinnabar. Yeah, Cinnabaris is the Latin, and Cinnabar is the English. And this is fascinating, also known as mercury sulfide, as we're going to find out. So this is mercury, which has been used for centuries for lots of different things, and have been very medicinal and, and toxic. And so we're going to talk about all those aspects of this. So this is going to be a fascinating episode. So let's talk some more about today's episode. Today we're going to be looking at another Chinese herb, Zhu Sha or Cinnabar. Historically, this quote-unquote herb, is extremely important to Chinese and Taoist development and Chinese alchemy. And the real question for our modern audience is, is it safe? As usual, we, be, we will be exploring something a little different. Today, we will introduce that Taoist alchemy and talk a bit about that. But before we do, I wanted to talk about, oh boy, we have a deal for you today. We have spent years preparing our How to Understand Drugs as an Herbalist series, And it is finally complete, and we are celebrating, celebrating with the biggest deal we have ever offered. You get our complete 45-hour course with CEUs and a lovely frameable certificate of completion for half off. But we're including so much more than just that. We will throw in a signed copy of my book. That alone is worth over 80 bucks integrative pharmacology combining modern pharmacology with Chinese with integrative medicine that's combining modern pharmacology with integrative medicine it is a textbook it's a big book it ain't no joke plus you will get an additional two-hour course i think one of our most important courses interpreting chinese medical research for free that'll help you with some of the steps we talk about when we're talking about drug herb interactions And that is still not all. We'll give not one but two hours more of any course you want on our website. This is 49 hours of courses and continuing education, a free signed book, a lovely certificate. That's a value of $809.95 worth of amazing products and all for just $337.50. Just go to www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. Slash Mega Deal. That's M E G A D E A L Mega Deal, and get your discount right now. So that's www dot council, c o u n c i l dot org slash Mega Deal. And but please hurry. This is a limited time offer. All right. So let's talk about alchemy for just a few minutes here. So alchemy in the West was all about turning. Base your metals into gold and silver, and it is considered the precursor to modern day chemistry. Chem, chemi is chemistry. So I, I looked up the etiology of this, and, and I got to say it was not. It's it's, it's not an easy uh etiology. Some said it, um al is from it means the from 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 Arabic, and the chemi part said it. Was, some said it was from Arabic. Some said it was from Greece. Uh, Greek, and then others said it 's all Egyptian, so it was it was really kind of convoluted as to what this word you know kind of means, but ultimately today it means kind of it, it evolved into chemistry um, from these origins of 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 uh, especially in in the West and Western Europe in, in China, however, alchemy was primarily a Taoist, and if you 're not familiar with Taoism, Taoism is one of the or four main chinese philosophies and it was primarily a Taoist adept's pursuit for longevity so it was about longevity becoming immortal and so while medieval europeans were looking for great wealth by transmuting metal into gold the chinese particularly the Taoists, were seeking to transmute themselves into immortal beings and so that's that's it and if if you're a little hung up by the way on the, on the, the way i said one of the three or four main chinese philosophies that would hang me up too, if I was listening to this real briefly. The three ones we've talked about a lot. There's Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism. But there's a fourth one that some say kind of get up to that same level, but others say it, it kind of died off and isn't all that useful in, in, in studies today. And that was legalism. So that's why I kind of say three or four main Chinese philosophies. So Daoism, Buddhism, Confucianism, and legalism. Um, which was actually, legalism was probably, in the early days of China, the most prominent and then quickly Confucianism uh, over the f- first few hundred years kind of became dominant. However, you know, so we're talking about Taoist alchemy. There is a schism in Taoist alchemy. Uh, Pragadio in 2014 says this broke down into two types of alchemy. There was waidan or external alchemy and nadon or internal alchemy. According to him, Waidon predates Nadon and started in the 2nd century BCE, so this is uh, over you know, 2,200 years ago, while Nadon started in 8th century CE, so about uh, 1,200 years old, give or take. I think this may be controversial, as we'll discuss after we introduce each type, so I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this interpretation, though the literature probably is in alignment with this, but I think some of the oral traditions are not, so we'll talk about that. So let's talk about Wydon first. Wydon, according to Pragadio, is based on the compounding of elixirs through the manipulation of natural substances, including minerals and metals. Those were actually a really important part of this Wydon uh, uh approach. And the heating of ingredients in a crucible. Now, these terms we're talking about, you're gonna see in some of our quotes, they're actually gonna use some of these quotes, these these terms. In in texts containing recipes, descriptions of ingredients, ritual rules, and passages concerned with the associations of ingredients, instruments, and operations to the Chinese cosmological system. So again, this is a quote from Gaudio. Um Many, including the renowned and respected historian of Chinese medicine, Paul Unschold, believes this approach to longevity was an important catalyst for Chinese herbalism. Um, he, he actually has an interesting theory, and I couldn't quite, because he's written, <coughs> he's a, very well-known historian of Chinese medicine, and he's written several books, and I've read quite a few of them, so I'm not sure exactly where this came from, but, but basically he kind of, um, in, in very simple terms, he says Confucianism really much was was really contributory to acupuncture because you look at the meridians and you look at the, you know, when we talk about the organs, we talk about their ministers and the actions that they do. It's very Confucianist in their approach, very organized and very, Hierarchical, like Confucianism is, while uh, Chinese herbalism is not that way at all. And, and so Unchul really believes that a lot of herbalism is probably from Taoism, Taoist ascetics living in the mountains, observing nature, seeing animals eat certain herbs and, and things. And then you bring in this wide-on aspect of the, the goal of immortality for some Taoist adepts. Uh, you, you bring in a, a sort of a, a relatively systemized Taoist approach. To using herbs and minerals and and that is the sort of genesis of this heavy research into that and and, and that extended into herbalism and became herbalism quite a bit uh, so that's that's why Don probably directly contributes to that in in i 'm not going to say opposition, but in difference there's Nadon, and according to Brigadio, Nadon borrows a significant part of its vocabulary and imagery. From Wydon, but it aims to produce the elixir within the alchemist's person. In other words, it's not external to the person, it's internal to the, to the person. That's why it's nidon or internal alchemy. Its ingredients are the primary components of the cosmos and the human being. Nidon texts cover a wider spectrum of subjects compared to, to wide nadon texts, excuse me, cover a wider spectrum of subjects compared to Wydon at its ends and at, at its ends they are on the one hand teachings on the dao the principle of the basis of the world as we know it and on the other descriptions of self-cultivation practices so the idea is nadon says yeah you're combining mercury and gold but these are metaphorical terms for how we're going to meditate or do something internally and so that's the idea with with nadon while wide on, they're specifically talking about mercury and gold and so how do you ingest those and and use them into, your, into yourself through elixirs and potions and, and herbal decoctions preparations, we should probably say in a more general sense. I tend to disagree with these ideas, um, the separation of waidan and nadon, uh, because, I, you know, my teacher, Sherfu Mike Patterson, uh, we, we, he suggested a book to me uh, called The Inner Teachings of Taoism uh, by Po Tuan. And, and in that book, he said, and, and my teacher said that the ideas of Wydon, he didn't use these terms Wydon and Nadon, but he described these different approaches. He said that the ideas of Wydon were actually a misinterpretation of the Nadon approach, where metaphorical language was taken literally when it was trying to describe how to become immortal through internal practices. In other words, um, he said this is not from the eighth century CE like um, Pregadio says, and and the books are from about that time, so I like, see where Pregadio, I'm not saying he's completely wrong, but he said that there were oral traditions that came along with these practices, and if you just read about um texts, you wouldn't realize that they're metaphorical languages about um, what my teacher would say were meditation practices, and so that these internal principles were not written about, but were there from the very beginning. And that's, that's where I kind of suggest that there may not be a difference between the Waidan and the Nadon. It's, it's a difference of interpretation and application, not necessarily that they were separated in, in any particular way. And having um, said this, you know, that this, this Nadon approach was from the beginning with Waidan, the book that we're talking, the, the, this is based on the inner teachings of Taoism, was actually written in the 11th century CE, so even 300 years later. So it was definitely considered quite a bit later in in Taoist philosophy. But again, these ideas were around; these these thoughts were around. Um, but uh, you know, my teacher thought they were misinterpreted in the Waidan approach to things. <coughs> in in this book, uh, the Inner Teachings of Taoism, there's a quote by a commentator of the book, who's Li, Yiming, from 1808 CE, so this is 700 years after the book is written, um, that supports this view. Uh, and the the quote is: "Later students did not look into the meanings of the code words and did not figure out the principles of the symbols. Seeking ta- seeing talk of gold elixir, lead mercury cauldron, and furnace, they thought it referred to the presentation of potions to ingest, and they took to chemistry." So liu Ming is basically saying those were incorrect interpretations so that was very much in line with what my teacher was saying about these concepts but why are we even talking about chinese alchemy in today's herb which is cinnabar and that does bring us to today's herbs jusha or cinnabar is one of the main constituents of waidan and nadon practices and formulas uh, of course in nadon it's it's metaphorical, but in on it's it's actual, it's it's real cinnabar. So along with gold, it is considered one of the most pure substances and necessary for longevity practices. In fact, Unschuld, that historian, has a quote in his book uh, on, on medicine in China that says certain substances or precious precious metals contain the materialized principles of immortality. In the case of gold, for example. Recognition of its incorruptibility and permanence may have merged in approaches to immortality. Another substance that attracted early attention was mucuric sulfide or cinnabar, which in its pure form, due to its insolubility, is the sole non-toxic mercury mercury compound. As we're going to find out, we're going to find out if it's toxic or non-toxic as we talk about it today. But this was the quote from Unschuld. So the inner teachings of Taoism has many quotes involving Mercury and Cinnabar, and I just have a couple examples here. One is use lead to control Mercury, essence or Jing, light and Mercuric is represented by Mercury. So Mercury might, is, is in, this, in this interpretation of the Nadon is that when they say Mercury, what they actually mean is essence or Jing from a Chinese medical point of view. Uh, Here's another quote, a whole, um, there's a whole uh, verse about it. So lead and mercury intermingle. Essence goes to seek sense, sense comes back to essence. Putting the lead in the mercury, sense returns to essence. Putting the mercury in the lead, essence cleaves to sense. When sense and essence merge without obstruction, there's no worry that the great way, or the Tao, will not be accomplished and when they say accomplishing the dao or attaining the dao they're actually talking about um, basically um, what the buddhists would say is achieving nirvana achieving immortality so this is what this is talking about so that's a good quote here so that's why we're talking uh, you know it's hard to talk about cinnabar as an herb without talking about these philosophical Uh, aspects of of alchemy. So that's, you know, where we start today in discussion of our our herb. Now, moving on, we do have, you know, I have this cool little book called Chinese Herbal Legends, and it has these, for about 50 herbs, so not all the herbs of Chinese, it has these really cool herbal legends that kind of elicitate some of the history and philosophy and, and uses for some of these herbs. So there is one here. Uh, this is an herbal legend uh, about cinnabar from Junshu. Those were the authors. and uh, So here it is. Here's the quote. Long ago, because people believed in superstitions, when they were ill, they didn't go to see a doctor, but often went to necromancers instead. There was an illness named mania and withdrawal that no doctor could cure. So mania and withdrawal is a current Chinese medical class. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. It probably, it's not exact, but it probably... Um, cleaves fairly closely to what we would call bipolar disorder, uh, but not necessarily. You know, there's, there's exceptions, and there's some extremes that might fall out of that, but that's really what we're talking about. So there was an illness named mania withdrawal that no doctor could cure. Strangely, whenever the necromancer treated it, he could cure it. So the people trusted necromancers rather than doctors. There was a man with some knowledge of medicine. He thought that since the necromancers could only draw magic figures, chant incantations, and pretend to be gods and spirits, how could they really cure illness? He guessed that there must be some other reason, so he talked it over with his wife, thought of a plan to discover the necromancer's secret. One day, his wife went to the necromancer and told him that her husband was suffering from mania and withdrawal disease. The necromancer quickly came to their home. There he saw the patient lying on the ground, speaking crazily, and his hair disheveled and a muddy face. Ah, I am the son of the Jade Emperor, the patient said deliriously. When the necromancer believed that the man was really insane, he burned torches, sprinkled resin, and set up a mahogany stick in his preparations to drive away the ghosts. He placed a bowl of clear water on a table, then he held up a magic figure and began to recite, Mysterious heaven, mysterious world, chanted the necromancer. Just as the necromancer was about to burn the magic figure, the man jumped up, grabbed it suddenly, and kicked the necromancer out of the house. I am the son of the jade emperor. How dare you treat me in such an impolite way? Go away, you devil, he shouted. The necromancer was kicked out upon the ground outside the house. When he stood up, the door had already been tightly closed. Although he cried out for a long time, nobody inside listened to him, so he had to go home and accept his bad luck without complaint. Inside the room, the man drank a mouthful of water from the bowl first, but it was tasteless and really a bowl of clear water. Looking at the magic figure, he found nothing strange. These can't cure illnesses, he thought. At last, he stared at the jusha that was to be used for painting, but he didn't know if it could cure illness. The next day he summoned a person who suffered from mania and withdrawal disease to his house and asked him to drink the water with a little zhu in it. After drinking this, the patient gradually became cured. From that time on, the man knew the necromancer could drive ghosts away and cure insanity only because the Zhu Sha on the magic figure had magical properties, had medical properties. In this way, Zhu became a kind of Chinese medicine that's the herbal legend around cinnabar jusha so let's talk about this herb. let's talk about what we're, we're talking. what this is cinnabar is the primary aura of mercury its mineralogical classification is sulfide mineral its English translation jusha literally means vermilion or dull red sand other names for jusha include don chensha, chen Sha, gong yin Lingsha, which is a synthetic product for external use, only very, very toxic, so only for external. Jiangmian-sha, uh, we'll, we'll talk about what some of these mean as we talk about different preparations. Dobian-sha, uh, Jubao-sha, and in Japanese, it's Shusha, and Korean, Jusa. Again, I, I don't pronounce Japanese or Korean. And I barely pronounce Chinese, so um, I don't know the exact you know, emphasis as uh, in Japanese or Korean, but those words there so cinnabar as mineral according to kim is a hydrothermal mineral that precipitates from descending desc- hot waters and vapors as they move through fractured rocks it forms at shallow depths where temperatures are less than about 200 degrees celsius That's double the uh the temperature of, of boiling water it usually forms in rocks surrounding ge- geologically recent volcanic activity, but can also form near hot springs and fumaroles. Cinnabar precipitates as coatings on rock surfaces and as fracture fillings. Less often, cinnabar can be deposited in the pore spaces of sediments. So that's cinnabar, what cinnabar actually is from a mineralogical point of view. From as a as an herb, quote unquote herb medicine, a, a medicinal substance. Um Bensky places this herb in the substances with unacceptable toxicity subcategory under the obsolete substances category. So basically saying um, just in the way Bensky and their team uh, place this, they say you shouldn't use it. It's under the obsolete substances category, um, in the subcategory of substances with unacceptable toxicity. So unacceptable toxicity can't use it. Chen, Chen puts it, and, and originally Bensky, Bensky put it, um, in some of the earlier versions of their of their work, put it in the same category as Shen Chen, um, which is the sedative herbs that calm the Shen or spirit subcategory under the category of Shen calming herbs. So Shen we've mentioned a few times on the on the show it's, it means spirit or as we're going to see mind spirit sometimes. Brandon Wiseman, our our third other big text that we use here, say it is the heavy uh, it is in the heavy settling spirit quieting medicinal subcategory under the category of spirit, quieting, and medicinal. So basically the same as Chen. So. According to Bensky, it is sweet, cool, and toxic and enters the heart channel. Chen and Chen says it's actually cold rather than cool. And Brennan Wiseman um, agrees that it's cold and adds it enters the liver in addition to the heart channel. And the liver is often involved with with emotional stuff as well. So that's not a, a far-fetched addition here. Uh, the Divine Farmer's Materia Medica, the Shendong Ben Sao Jing, which is the first book that we have on individual herbs. Uh, and you're going to find this is the first mention of this herb, so it's an old herb. Um, says it's sweet and slightly cold. So slightly cold, so that can be interpreted as cold or cool and that sort of um, thing. But sweet is interesting. It's, uh, it's a little bit on the sweet side. And, and of course, they all agree with that. uh let's talk a little bit about substances that calm the spirit so we understand what this category means and how it's actually used traditionally so the it, the herb is traditionally used as a heavy substance that anchors settles and calms the spirit these substances according to bensky and and his team are, are used primarily for treating disturbances of the spirit or shen also known as consciousness or shen which lead to such problems as irritability insomnia palpitations with anxiety and even some forms of insanity because the spirit is said to reside in the heart many of these substances enter the heart channel many also affect the liver where the ethereal soul hun is said to reside Uh, disorders of this organ often manifest in a similar manner so we haven't really talked about the different types of quote-unquote souls or spirits Uh, that'll make a great Uh, something different um, coming up but hun is one of the five spirits uh, and so shen shen and hun are two of the five spirits one of the more common reasons for disturbed spirit is jing which depending on the context can be translated as fright shock sudden anxiety or jitteriness so i I just want to explain this is the same jing as we talk about with essence but obviously here it doesn't mean essence that's because in, in chinese there's many tone marks and just Having a word without a particular tone mark uh, doesn't differentiate that term. So um, Jing essence, probably, I don't know off the top of my head, has a different tone and is therefore a completely different word than this Jing that we're talking about here is fright, shock, sudden anxiety, or jitteriness. (coughs) Another reason is overwork, which can lead to insufficiency of the nutritive qi and blood. Uh, This causes deficiency of the heart and liver, depriving the spirit or ethereal soul of a place where it can peacefully reside substances that calm the spirit are generally divided into two categories based on their primary function the first includes those heavy substances that anchor settle down and calm the spirit second encompasses those substances with mild tonifying actions which are said to nourish the heart and calm to calm the spirit when treating disturbances of the spirit it is important to directly address the underlying cause this involves not only choosing spirit calming substances which work through different pathological mechanisms but also strategies that directly affect the causal mechanism for example clearing heat from the heart draining heat from the liver relieving liver constraint transforming phlegm invigorating blood and dispelling blood stasis calming the liver and extinguishing wind and opening the orifices only a judicious combination, judicious combination of substances that takes into account the ideology of the problem will bring optimal results from this perspective. substances, which calm the spheric can be viewed primarily as treating the manifestations of a disorder, to be effective, they should therefore generally be combined with substances that treat the root cause. So we often talk about root and branch treatment, so a branch treatment is is dealing with manifestations or sim- signs and symptoms of a particular disorder treating the root means we're actually treating the cause of that these substances treat the branch and so that's important for us to know moving into these into this these concepts all right so back to our jusha cinnabar Bensky says uh, the dosage of this is 0.1 to 1.5 grams in pills powders or chased with a strange cooled decoction that's important we'll talk about that in a minute Chen Chen say 0.3 to 1 grams taken in pill form only. Brandon Wiseman say 0.1 to 0.5 gram dosage as a powder in pills or drenched, quote-unquote drenched, with some sources saying up to 1 gram can be used. I'm not sure what this word drenched means. They didn't explain it in the book, but I wanted to keep it in. Um, I, my, my guess is it, it means like in a, in a decoction or something along those lines. Bensky uh, and his team in Chen Chen agree the original source for this herb is the Shenan Ben Sao Jing, or the Divine Husbandsman's classic of the Materia Medica. That, like I said, is the earliest existing text on individual herbs, so being written in there means it's amongst the oldest herbs around, and that was written in the second century C.E. Good quality of this herb, according to Bensky and his team, uh, is bright red, shiny, clean, brittle, and translucent to transparent. They also say the best quality comes from Fujian and Hebei province, provinces. Zhao and Chen, which is a is a, another great text, and it's it's about um, it's it's uh, Chinese medicinal identification. So this is more about um, talking about. How do you find the best? And it has beautiful pictures. It does have a little bit as we're going to find out of the functions, but it's mostly about how do you find the best quality. And they say the best quality is fresh red in color and is lustrous, heavy, and brittle. It has red to brownish brownish red streak marks. It has a faint odor, not much, and is tasteless. So they taste it, which we're gonna find out may not be the smartest thing to do, but they do talk about taste in that book quite a bit. Which all told, sights, uh, odors, um, tastes, those are all called organoleptic approaches to identification. So, so what are its actions? According to Bensky, <coughs> uh, Zusha, it sedates the heart and calms the spirits. That's very much in line with what we were, we've been talking about. It expels phlegm and sedates jitteriness and convulsions while stopping tremors. And it clears heat, resolves toxicity, Prevents putrefaction. Uh, for this often it's applied topically for things such as carbuncles, mouth sores, sore throat, and snake bite. There's a a patent medicine that's called um Yoshinwan, which is six spirits pill. And it's really tiny and it's all the substances are toxic. And I think mercury is one of those substances in there. And it's good for sore throats. That's I, mean, I shouldn't leave that out. Brandon Wiseman. its function says it settles fright and quiets the spirit and this includes the following conditions exuberant fire giving rise to vexation agitation insomnia child fright wind with vigorous heat effusion convulsions and arched back rigidity which technical term for that is ophiophenosis uh and if you've ever seen it it's uh, not a uh, it's a scary sight in a child phlegm heat, internal block manifesting in mania and withdrawal, spirit, mind, abstraction, or absent-mindedness or agitation and or heart palpitations, fearful throbbing, vacuity, vexation, insomnia, and finally epilepsy patterns. This can be used in, in epilepsy. Its second action is clears heat and resolves toxins, and this can include painful swollen throat, Pain and swelling of the gums and mouth and tongue sores, swelling and toxin of red hot painful sores, and enduring ulcerated sores and welling abscesses that fail to close. So that's Brandon Weis- Wiseman. Chen and Chen have similar actions. It says it sed- they say it sedates the heart and calms the Shen or spirit, and it clears heat and toxins. And Zhao and Chen, which is that that identification textbook, it says it clears the heart, settles fright, calms the spirit, and resolves toxin. So it's a toxin, but it says it resolves toxin. And there's a saying in Chinese medicine, treat toxin with toxin. So it kind of makes sense in, in that context. And finally, the Defined Farmer's Materia Medica, or the ben Shaobu, uh, the, uh, the Shandong Ben Shao Jing. So this is a superior jade or stone, and it treats hundreds of diseases of the five viscera and the body. It nourishes the essence spirit, quiets the ethereal and corporeal souls. The so corporeal souls is another one of those spirits. Um, boots the qi, boosts the chi. I should say boosts the chi. Uh, brightens the eyes and kills spirit demons and evil, malign ghosts. So remember, when this was written, uh, there was a school of med. You know, at the sc- at the medical school. There was a department of of magic and incantations, so spirit demons and ghosts were definitely part of medicine uh, at the time that this this book was written. Uh, And it also says protracted taking may enable one to communicate with spirit light and prevent senility. So spirit light is ghosts and things along those lines. So there's definitely a very spiritual aspect to the Divine Farmer's Materia Medica and to this herb. So preparations, uh, uh, they you know Bensky actually talks a lot about preparations here, and they say because Chen Pref- Prefecture in modern-day Hunan Province was especially well known as a source of production from the time of the Inner Classic to this day, it is commonly referred to as Chen Sand or Chen Sha. So the Inner Classic refers to the Wang Di Neijing, which is the Inter- uh, Yellow Emperor's Inner Classic, which was. Um, compiled uh, around 200 BCE, so we're talking about 400 years before uh, the Shenang Ben Jing. In the process of separating the cinnabar from its matrix of stone, the small chunks of cinnabar are split off, so it is known as cloven sand or pi sha. These particles are fresh red in color and semi-transparent, and because they are shiny like a mirror, they are known as mirror face sand or jing-mian-sha, and brilliant clear sand or guangming in the past exceptionally high quality cinnabar was presented as tribute to the imperial court for use in longevity medic- medicinals thus the term tribute uh, the, the term tribute cinnabar gongzhu sha is specified by those wishing to emphasize the best quality and then we have a preparation called floating cinnabar shui zhu sha Aqueous uh, uh, trituration is the process of using water and reducing a substance to an extremely fine powder. In the case of cinnabar, the process is to place the mineral in an appropriate grinding vessel, add water, and grind the mineral into a paste. A large volume of water is added, and the mixture is then stirred to form a suspension. A magnet is used to remove iron particles. The material that becomes suspended in the water is immediately poured off and retained, While the coarser material sinks to the bottom. The sediment is further ground, water is added, and the process is repeated until fine mud is obtained with no remaining shining particles. The sediments which which are incapable of suspension are discarded. The products of the pouring off are combined and allowed to settle. The water again poured off and the powder is then dried in the sun. Aqueous trituration reduces the content of soluble mercuric salts the more often the process is repeated, the less the the content. Because the water and gastric acid soluble mercury salts contained in impure cinnabar are responsible for its toxicity, the cleaner it is, the less toxic it will be. However, completely pure cinnabar or mercuric sulfide, when heated in the presence of oxygen, it turns into mercury oxide, or HG, HGO, which is soluble in diluted acids, such as gastric acid, and is toxic. So don't heat it. So Western uses of this herb. It's not really a Western herbal medicine. Uh, cinnabar is used in Ayurvedic medicine, however. Um, and in the past, Cinnabar was used as a pigment in Europe. Uh, as, uh, if you not heard, uh, and I, I quote in the, the end, we haven't talked about Mad Hatter's disease, but it was used as a pigment, especially in felt and, and in, in um, working with felt. And so, uh, hatters would, would use cinnabar quite a bit. And of course, they would get toxic symptoms, and that was Mad Hatter's disease, if you've ever heard of that. So, we did talk about it, so my last slide's going to be off. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> So it was used as a pigment in Europe and as a medicinal to treat inflammation of the nose and throat, corneal stains, syphilis, up until the last century it was used for syphilis, uh, ulcers and warts, and as a laxative. Having said this, it is no longer used in modern Western medicine or herbology. Neither the PDR for herbal medicines or physician's drug reference for herbal medicines or the American Herbal Product Association Botanical Safety Handbook have an entry for this "quote unquote" herb, so not used in modern herbology in the West at all. Bens- uh, so moving on from the Western, let's talk about commentary on this on this herb. Bensky actually has quite a bit of commentary on this. Uh, Bensky and their team, uh, Cinnabaris or Jusha, is sweet, cold, and heavy in weight. Its coldness directs fire downward. Uh, heaviness suppresses trepidation in the oft quoted words of the sixth century physician Shujur Tsai, and its crimson color signals that it enters the heart channel. Thus it clears fire, sedates the heart, arrests jitteriness and anxiety, and quiets the spirit. Because the heart governs the spirit and resolve, which reside in the heart. Suppression of fire restores calm to the heart. Cinnabaris Cynos- Jusha has therefore been used as an important medicinal for irritability, restless insomnia, withdrawal mania, and childhood convulsions. Applied topically, it treats toxic sores and carbuncles, breaks up mobile and fixed abdominal masses, and is an antidote for toxins due to bites from poisonous animals and insects. Commentary on the Divine Husband's in classic Materia Medica states that it is a medicinal that cools and sedates the princely fire of the Lesser Yin. It quiets and settles the consciousness so that the essence and spirit are secured. When fire no longer blazes exuberantly, metal and wood become calm so that the ethereal soul and the corporeal soul can settle down. So metal and wood, in this case, is really talking about the heart and liver. The strength of qi naturally doubles. The Divine Husband's classic Materia Medica observes that Cinnabarus Jusha is sweet, slightly cold, governs all the illnesses of the body's five yin organs, nourishes consciousness quiets the ethereal soul and the corporeal soul augments the chi and brightens the eyes we kind of already mentioned that earlier in rectification of the medium materia medica zhang j bin elaborates on these attributes it enters the heart to quiet the spirit and travel through the blood vessels it enters the lungs to direct qi downward and travel through the skin it enters the spleen to drive out phlegm and drool and travel through the flesh and muscles it enters the liver to promote the movement of static blood, travel through the sinews and membranes. It enters the kidneys to drive out pathogenic water and travel through the ba- bones and marrow. Whether in the upper, uh, continuing with the same book, whether in the upper or lower body, there's no place it does not reach. Thus, it can sedate the heart, drive out phlegm, expel pathogens, direct fire da- downward, treat childhood convulsions, kill poisons from bites. Eliminate noxious attacks, uh, i.e. seizures from unknown causes such as demonic possession, sores, scabies, and tinea. However, while its form is heavy, its nature is racing. It excels at moving and directing downward with unpredictable changes. Use it to treat excess patterns. This is its forte. That's the Bensky commentary. Chen Chen and and, and Wiseman also have a little bit of commentary on this. Chen Chen says, Sha is sometimes used to coat tablets and pills. It has tranquilizing functions to calm the Shen spirit. It also seals the pills against moisture to prolong shelf life. So that's uh, there's some practical reasons for that. Brandon Wiseman say Sha is also used to process other medicinals to increase their spiri- spirit-quieting action. So often combined for that reason, it it calms the spirit. Comparison, so Bansky compares this herb with Coptis rhizoma or Huanglian. Both substances cool heart fire and quiet the spirit and resolve. Xia, however, is also heavy and expels phlegm and is therefore the better choice for treating withdrawal mania due to phlegm fire. On the other hand, Huanglian, while less able to calm the spirit, is better at draining fire, clearing heat, and cooling the blood, is more often used for restlessness, irritability, delirium, and bleeding due to heat entering the nutritive level in febrile diseases. Again, both substances resolve toxicity, but Zhu Sha is only used externally for this purpose, while Huanglian is both taken internally and applied topically. Moreover, Huanglian dries dampness and is therefore used for dysenteric disorders, focal distension, nausea vomiting associated with patterns of damp heat so that's that comparison uh, bensky also has uh one single combination that it talks about with magnetitum or zisha Zisha is sweet slightly cold and red in color travels through the blood vessels and excels at sedating the heart and calming the spirit zisha is acrid or spicy salting and cold and enters the liver and kidney channels to augment the kidneys while calming the liver thereby settling the mind and quieting the spirit together the two substances are mutually complementary providing a strong sedating and common combination that not only contains the floating yang and prevents the heart fire from harassing upward it also augments the yin and thereby reestablishes to a certain extent harmonious communication between the heart and the kidneys The golden mirror of medical tradition elaborates, still talking about this combination. Sha is endowed with the red color of the south, entering and unblocking the heart, directing relentless fire downward to calm the mind. Sha is endowed with the black color of the north, entering and unblocking the kidneys, drawing in lung metal qi to generate essence, weighing down upward blazing fire in order to settle the mind. Both minerals are heavy and primarily direct downward, are cold so they cool the yin are similar in purpose and pathway and together produce an effect that is immediately perceptible. Now, I have a uh, quick question here. So cinnabar, as per its description, is the same as the mineral stone. Yes, it really is. Has anyone seen or used it as a medicinal herb? Yes, Um, I have. Um, Like I said, not often, and we're going to talk about that. So hang on to that a little bit more. I have seen it used as a medicinal herb. I have seen it in patent medications. I've taken it as a medicinal herb. I will not be doing that again. Um, So we'll talk about that as we go along. So thank you for for asking that. So it's contents as processed. Zhuxia really only has one constituent or should only have one constituent, which is mercury sulfide. And the science about this mineral is that it is toxic and does not have any medicinal properties at all. So that is the contents of this. So that's kind of where we do From a Western point of view, this stuff is bad. From a Chinese point of view, you know, we're we're going to talk about the science here in just a minute, but there's there's usefulness medicinally in this, but it is toxic. So we'll talk about that toxicity here. So the science on this herb is tough. So there are lots of studies, but most are looking at the toxicity of this mineral, which we summarize under concerns in just a few minutes. Uh, a few try to show it is an important ingredient to some key formulas that therefore could not be omitted. None of these, while often supporting this position, showed strong evidence to support its usage as most were animal studies. So um, it, you know there are a lot of Chinese studies um, that said, hey, this is something we need. It's an important part of these herbal formulas. And it would sometimes talk about a specific herbal formula as the paper, sometimes just in general terms. But all of those studies, when they looked at it, were rat studies for the most part. There were a few, maybe a few other animals, but um, rat studies. And, and nothing really human to say that this is safe. Uh, in fact, if you look at the science, it is definitely not safe. Uh, so one interesting, just to explain one of these, one interesting recent RAT study in 2022 compared the same uh, herbal formula, one with Jusha and one without. So it was the exact same formula, but one had Cinnabar in it, one did not have Cinnabar in it. And they concluded, our study indicated that the analgesic and fracture healing promotion effects of the Cinnabar formula were significantly stronger than those of the non-Cinnabar formula. According to the hot water tail flick test and blood calcium and blood phosphorus levels of the rats cinnabar also appears to reduce the toxicity of semen strychnine in rats and is thus potentially safe and effective when used according to tcm or traditional chinese medical principles while this does support the use of cinnabar um this is my quote now that that's the end of their their conclusion and, and this is my interpretation while this does support the use of cinnabar it is a rat study and therefore poor evidence for human use. Also, when I looked at the results, it seemed the Cinnabar list, you know, the formula without Cinnabar was still quite effective at these things. It was just not as effective as that containing Cinnabar. So I, I actually, I kind of draw the opposite conclusion from what they did, which is, yeah, okay, Cinnabar was more effective uh, than the the same formula without Cinnabar, but the the formula without Cinnabar still had positive effects quite, Good positive effects. So, for me, it may not be a strong formula without the cinnabar, but it was still a useful formula. And so, um, I, I kind of almost came away with the exact opposite sense from that particular study than the, than the, the conclusion. But then again, I didn't do it. So, uh, I'm just reading it. So, we always talk about drug herb interactions of these herbs. I did do a search on interactions of um, cytochrome P450 and P glycoprotein and other transport uh, proteins, which are, uh, uh, if you, if those are usual markers when we see there's drug herb interactions. There are other forms of drug herb interactions, but these are the ones that there's, there's commonly studies on. And um, there really weren't uh, any specific interactions with, with Cinnabar that I came up with. However, I did see one paper. Uh, from 2016 showing a rat study that said there were no interactions of mercury sulfide with cytochrome P450 or transporter proteins, though interestingly, other forms of mercury, such as methylmercury and mercury chloride, did show various interactions with cytochrome P450 and uh, P-collector So at this point, I don't think there's evidence that there's, there's actually any drug herb interactions. Um, as we're going to talk about it, for me, that probably isn't super useful because I'm not going to use it as an herb. Uh, but Oh, I'm spoiling this. I'm spoiling the conclusion in the middle here, but there we go. So concerns this is the big issue with this, and the major concern with this herb is its toxicity. Most developed countries either ban it or have serious concerns about it, and generally ban prepared medicines with it. Uh, Bensky and their team say it should not be used in large amounts for long term to prevent mercury poisoning. Do not heat it. That's really important. They also discuss some traditional contraindications. Uh, from the Thirdly revised Materia Medica, it says used by itself or to excess, it will make people slow-witted and dejected. And from harm and benefit in the Materia Medica, they say it sedates and nourishes the heart spirit but should be used unprepared. If refined with fire is toxic and taking it has often been fatal. Uh, they continue with a good-sized section on its toxicity. Uh, Cinnabar is toxic and in many countries is contraindicated for oral administration due to its mercury content. Uh, Oral administration in high doses or long-term can cause mercury poisoning. The toxic dose is about 1 to 1.5 grams daily for 30 days as a drug powder or 6 to 7 grams daily over a period of 70 80 days. I don't understand, you know, what a drug powder is compared to what the 6 to 7 grams daily. I guess that's the raw Herbs, 60 grams, uh, 6 to 7 grams daily over a period of 70 days. I'm not sure what that, that refers to. Um, symptoms of chronic mercury poisoning or restlessness, a metallic taste in the mouth, profuse salivation, congestion and ulceration of the oral mucosa, swollen, painful, and bleeding gingiva, anorexia or loss of appetite, nausea, vomiting. Oh, um, painful and bleeding gingiva are the gums, by the way. Um, uh, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, diarrhea. Muscle tremors, impaired sexual function, albuminuria. So that's albumin in the in the in the urine. And hematuria, which is blood in the urine, and uh, cylinduria, which is renal casts, uh, which are cylindrical, cigar-shaped, structured structures produced by the kidney uh, in in the urine as well. So that's 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 not a good thing, and you can see. That, if you've ever um, done a, a urine sample, if you hold it up, if these casts are there, you can see them kind of floating or or settling in the bottom of the cup. So um, it's it, they're observable to the naked eye. Uh, continuing their concerns, according to Chinese sources, overdosage and long-term administration must be strictly avoided. Only the natural raw mineral cleaned by grinding and floating, shui-fei, can be taken internally. Use of heat in processing must be strictly avoided as it creates mercury oxide, which is highly toxic. In addition, contact with aluminum vessels during the grinding process must be avoided. The synthetic product, Ling Sha, is more toxic than the natural product and is only for external use. Chen Chen has similar concerns, saying, to prevent cumulative toxicity, Sha should not be used at a large dosage or for a long period of time. sha should be used with extreme caution for those with compromised liver and kidney functions. Do not process sha with heat as this increases the risk of mercury poisoning. So again, we're hearing again and again, don't use heat, don't use heat. They continue to say acute overdose of Sha is characterized by disturbance of the central nervous system with nervousness, metallic taste in the mouth, swollen gums, poor appetite, abdominal pain, diarrhea, tremor, sexual dysfunction, and liver and kidney damage. So very similar to what we just read from Bensky. Um, they also have some suggestions for overdosage in, in terms of how you could deal with overdoses using some herbal products. Uh, it was a little bit long, and I don't think incredibly useful, so I didn't include it here. But finally, they state, <coughs> excuse me, Jusha. <coughs> is rarely used as a medicinal substance now. This discussion here is included primarily for academic purposes to reflect the historical use of this substance. Uh, so this is important. They're concluding it should not be used. Interest, interestingly, Western culture also used mercury in the past for treatment of syphilis. So yeah, it was standard treatment for syphilis uh, in the early 1900s, so absolutely. And finally, Brandon Wiseman essentially agree with these concerns. They they said exactly the same thing. Maybe with slightly different language, but was definitely in the ballpark of of all this so that is our herb yusha. so interesting I'm again s- completely fascinated with this herb historically philosophically and even medicinally because it, it was used uh, medicinally and 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 let's let's face it if you're using it for syphilis or something in the in the early nineteen hundreds um, where it is toxic and but it is helping the syphilis i you were going to die from the syphilis, and there was not a lot else you could do for syphilis than using mercury, and you would die from it a lot sooner than uh, the toxicity would, would do you in. So, you know, I wonder if it wasn't a bad a bad choice at that point. But as soon as antibiotics came in, that could treat uh, syphilis, and obviously that's the way better choice here. So today we started our podcast with a discussion of Taoist alchemy and longevity techniques, philosophies, tactics. I don't even know what to say that, and the differences. Y don and ne don, inner and outer alchemy. Then we discussed Jusha, a very storied but toxic ingredient. And we didn't even get into Mad Hatter disease. Uh, what well we did get into Mad Hatter disease. That was, um, if you've ever um, heard of that, uh, and if you haven't, that probably means you haven't been to Disneyland because they have uh, the Mad Hatter teacups or the cups. Uh, and that you know it was it was well known. If you worked on hats for decades you were going to go crazy so that's mad hatter disease the bottom line is this mineral appears to have some medicinal benefit but that benefit is far outweighed by its potential for toxicity and harm i've studied this herb and its properties but i was never really sure if i should use it after all of this i am still fascinated by it and its historical and philosophical significance but I will be avoiding it, and will not suggest it to my patients. That little, the um, Shenwan, um, it's it's the coolest little thing. It's like this little, beautiful little Chinese urn in plastic, and it's really small, maybe an inch. Uh, and it has a little top on it that you twist off, opposite what you would normally twist off. So normally we twist off to the you know left, Lefty Lucy. You actually twist it off by turning it to the right. Very strange. And then you in there, there's tiny 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 pills you know we're used to bb size herbal pills these are a tenth that size if that big tiny things and you're supposed to put them out and you're supposed to take i think the dosage is like nine of them or something and you're supposed to put them on the back of your your tongue and let them kind of dissolve and coat the sore throat and i've used that um i believe mercury is is one of the ingredients there's other toxic ingredients in there as well um i don't use it anymore because a, I never found it to be incredibly useful, and I have more useful stuff for sore throats. Um, but I'm I'm just saying this because I have done that. The other thing that I've I've done, which is is interesting, was when I first graduated with my bachelor's degree, I was actually hired by someone who I think they were going to, they were uh, doing a uh, a dissertation, a, a doctoral dissertation for psychology, and she wanted to talk about. Um, mercury fillings and how they could affect psychology. So she hired me to go through the, the research on mercury and mercury fillings and what are the mercury that are issues. And, and what I actually came up with is once mercury is kind of set in the mouth, it's probably not that toxic. But as you bite down on it, you release a little mercury gas and you swallow that. When they're being put in, there's some methylmercury that can be swallowed. Methylmercury was the bad mercury in that context. Uh, and the gas, which we're talking about, some of the things we've talked about like mercury oxide, uh, things along those lines are highly toxic. So, um, I, you know, I, here's the bottom line for me whenever I'm kind of, I'm on the fence of something along these lines is if my patient were to get, first of all, I don't want my patients to get sick. So right there, if I think they might get sick, I'm probably not gonna go with it. This is the case here. They might get sick, probably won't go with it. But if they were to, if I were to give it to a patient, um, from a medical legal point of view, would they have a case against me? And, and the answer to that is absolutely. I don't know a, a developed nation that if a patient got sick from mercury that you had prescribed, uh, even if you know it was a mistake of the manufacturer, what have you, prescribed it, and they sued you for malpractice, I think they would win hands down. I don't think you have a defense that is, is cogent in that context. And so... Um, from medical legal point of view, I, I just don't think there's any way to uh, defend yourself if you were to actually prescribe this. So, um, for all those reasons, I mean, the big one is that it might harm them. And forget the medical legal reason, it might harm them. So I'm not going to offer this to my patients. Um, like I said, I've done it myself, and I'm not worried about the tiny amounts that I've had, but probably won't. I and I haven't used that 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 herb you know, that formula that patent medicine in a long time. That prepared medicine. So there you go. That's my summary. That's my my conclusion from all of this. So thank you for hanging through that. In our next episode, we will be looking. We will be looking at a Chinese herbal formula, Feng Feng Tong Shen San, or Saposhnikovia powder that sagely unblocks. I love saying Saposhnikovia. So Feng Feng Tong Shen San or Saposhnikovia powder that sagely unblocks, according to Shide and his team. Uh, which is, again, one of the main textbooks on on herbal formulas that we use, Chinese herbal formulas. This formula induces sweating without injuring the exterior and purges without injuring the interior. Its ability to unblock is sage-like in its subtlety, hence the name. Not a formula I commonly use, which makes me all the more eager to find out about it. And as usual, we will be exploring something a little different. Not sure what it's going to be. You're going to have to join us to find out. So please join us for the next interesting episode of Spurbs Herbs. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a a nice little request. If you like this podcast, please do us a humongous favor. Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. We're on all of them. We're on Android, uh, whatever it is, the Android store. We're on uh, iPhone on the the podcast app. Uh, We're on Spotify, all of the biggies. Uh, so uh, any of those that you use, if you give us five stars, man, that would be that would make our day. Uh, probably make our week, maybe even our month. So thank you uh, for even considering that. And just as a reminder, you can get this and 30% off our Drug Herb Series, 50% off our Drug Herb Series CUs and NCCOM PDAs at, so uh, Drug Herb Series Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Royal professional development activities at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. Uh, and that's council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, integrativemedicinecouncil.org. And you can always get in touch with me at Dr. Gregg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com That's S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com. So again, thank you very much for hanging in there we did perfect time in one hour and here is our bibliography as usual have a nice extensive bibliography thank you very much Spurs Spurs Spurs. the proceeding was presented by dr greg sperber we would like to thank janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program janelle. timothy roger campbell